I Think Therefore I Fan podcast is generously supported by our listeners. If you would like to support I Think Therefore I Fan, go to our webpage, that's IThinkThereforeIFan.com, all one word, click on the link that says Donate, and follow the instructions. Your support is greatly appreciated. Spoiler warning time. In this episode, we discuss, spoiler alert, it's a book about the philosophy of spoilers, The Handmaid's Tale, Battlestar Galactica, Caprica, Star Trek, Westworld, Deliverance, Sons of Anarchy, The King of Comedy, Inception, The Matrix, Memento, The Dark Knight, Black Mirror, and The Twilight Zone. You've been warned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think, Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. Um, so, what have we been up to this week? Well, we went to the Pop Culture Association Conference, which was a lot of fun. I know I was thinking, where has this been all my life? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting conference. It's um, people doing work on pop culture. There's a, a big philosophy section there, um, you know, a full day of philosophy, plus a bunch of philosophy scattered throughout the conference. Um, this thing's been going on for years. It's It's huge. And we've never been, which is crazy given that we've done so many books in pop culture and philosophy. Um, not to be too corny or anything, but it, it sort of felt like the mothership finally called us home. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of really wonderful people. We just had a fantastic time. It was in Washington, D.C. this year. Uh, we had beautiful weather for the most part. Really great. Yeah. So um, I was talking about my forthcoming book, Spoiler Alert. It's a book about the philosophy of spoilers. Um, We'll be doing an episode on that um, right at the end of this season, so I I won't say too much more. I talked a little bit about the metaphysics of spoilers, and you were talking about your book. I wasn't really talking about my book. I was talking about uh, dystopias. So Mm -hmm. I guess limited application. I didn't really say much about about it. So uh, this was my thesis, just briefly. Um, So I was arguing that uh, new dystopic stories use technology in the way that old dystopic stories used to used to use government. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and not to say that more traditional dystopic stories don't make use of technology, because they, of course, do. They, um, writers very early on were imagining technological advancements that could kind of help governments become totalitarian. But in a lot of those stories, what's explored, the, the more traditional dystopic stories, what's explored is the relationship between individuals and governments. So I argued that that dystopic stories usually sort of start off as utopias, like, oh, what, what important human problems could we solve with basic kinds of structures of governments? Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I think um, some more contemporary dystopias are doing uh, is like, how could we solve basic human problems with technology and then exploring everything that could go wrong? And so Black Mirror is a really good Mm -hmm. example of this. Westworld is a good example of this. And I argued that 
where older dystopic stories tend to focus on, as I mentioned, the relationship between governments and individuals. Um, more contemporary dystopic stories ask us to sort of reflect on more on, on deeper questions, like about the nature of the self, um, whether we are essentially con- constrained to our physical bodies or whether um, we can think of ourselves as extended mm-hmm. uh, beyond those bodies, um, the, whether we're essentially mortal or not, like those types of questions. So it was fun. Nice. Yeah, it was a, it was a great talk. So it's sort of tangentially related to The Handmaid's Tale, but only by way of contrast, right? That mm-hmm. would fall into the more, more traditional, traditional, this topic story mm-hmm. category. Yeah, so just um, a couple of, of things to note. Um, for the next few weeks, what we're going to be, be presenting are interviews that we did with folks at the Pop Culture Association Conference. Um, people were just doing all kinds of fascinating stuff, and it, it ties in nicely with both pop culture and philosophy, so we wanted to share it. Um, and um, some of these um, run a little long, not, not too long for the purposes of an episode, but we've decided for the next few weeks to skip the listener musings and the what we're liking segment um, so we can get more interview time in. Keeping it manageable. Keeping it manageable. Um, yeah, and just one other um, little bit of a, a note. Um, we like to keep this podcast G-rated, um, but at least one of our guests today knows a word that starts with an F, and um, <laughs> he um, he employs it. So um, if no, you, not too much, not too much, a couple times. Yeah, and and appropriately so, right? Nothing wrong with it. But if if the kids are in the room. Um, you know, plug their ears. Um, just, if you're the kind of person who cares. Just while that happens. It helps if you're, you know, you've got ESP or omniscience or something like that, so you'll know when it's coming. <laughs> um, but um, let's, shall we move on to the interviews? Let's do it. Okay, so our, our first interview today is with Jason Eberl and George Dunn, um, and then that will be followed by an interview with um, David Kyle Johnson. So, on to the interviews. Okay, we're talking to George Dunn and Jason Eberl. So thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah, Thank happy you. to be here. Well, why don't we start with you, Jason? Uh, what's your presentation at the conference about? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, so in the philosophy and culture area, which I'm the area chair for this year, um, we put together, I think, a really great set of diverse papers on different themes. And so one of the themes that emerged was a set of papers on looking at science fiction, in particular, like artificial intelligence, and different sort of themes of what it means to be a person and not and so on. And there's sort of standard metaphysical questions that philosophers have been taking on there. Um, my particular take was to look at the depiction of human and Cylon society in the reimagined Battlestar Galactica nice. and the uh, Caprica prequel series. And looking at it through a, a biopolitical lens. So full disclosure, I'm not a Foucault scholar or an expert in, in biopolitical okay. theory, but I co-wrote the presentation uh, with a colleague of mine who unfortunately can't be here, um, we're, but we'll develop into a paper that's going to be forthcoming in a book. So uh, can you explain for our listeners who may not have heard about this concept before what, what biopolitical means? Yeah, so basically refers to how the fact that, you know, the, the control of life, right, who lives, who dies, how we procreate, and um, kind of the definition of the human, the inhuman, something in between human and, and, and non-human, um, that these are not so much metaphysical categories as politically defined categories. Mm-hmm. And political control gets exercised in various subtle ways 
over how we understand life, how we manipulate mm-hmm. life, uh, and how we and how we define it. So, um, so for I'll give you one example. In one of the first things you would do in sort of as a to set up a biopolitical system is kind of registering life, counting it, mm-hmm. marking it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in Battlestar Galactica, right, what's the first thing they do, the human survivors, after they've been wiped out, President Laura Rosslyn has this little whiteboard where she's numbering everyone and charting, you know, how, how many die, new babies born, yeah. and so on. And, you know, she's not trying to exert totalitarian control over everyone. Okay. Although, from that starting point, as things go on, and becomes so much important that for the, the human race needs to survive, right? That's their goal. Mm-hmm. Then questions come up like, well, should we outlaw abortion? Uh-huh. Which was legal in the society before the Cylons attacked. And the president, who you know, was an arch defender of, of, a, uh, of women's reproductive rights, ultimately decides, I need to outlaw abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that number, she doesn't put it that way, but that number is what matters. And so that's one example of how biopolitics is kind of shot through this, this, uh, that series. Interesting. Okay, yeah, cool. very interesting. So um, do you think that there are, are like, take-home lessons for our own community? Uh, oh, yes, uh, certainly. I mean, I think um, the whole kind of uh, school of thought has emerged. For, you know, it starts with descriptive anthropological and sociological analysis. So it's, not, it's one of those nice philosophical theories where the theory is not being invented and imposed on reality, mm-hmm. uh-huh. but it's largely has emerged as a reflection yes. upon what is really happening. Yeah. And again, because it's subtle, uh, my, my colleague I wrote the paper with, you know, as I'm still being introduced to the topic, you know, he said, you know, the thing about biopolitics, it only works when you don't know it's working. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh-huh. it, it's, it's under the surface. And so if it's like so blatant and out there that we are manipulating and controlling things, then you know it's not it's not working right the the game is up it has to be the you know the magician behind the curtain so to speak um and so i think the take home lesson is to be more cognizant of how these different biopolitical influences do shape culture and our attitude about technology mm-hmm. and human life and and especially in the biotech realm that um you know things like you know, CRISPR gene editing, all that type yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Right? yeah. So had you, lots of ethics poll cases on that recently for just those reasons. Yeah. And your presentation has already happened. Right? Yeah, I, had, yeah, I gave it this morning. Uh, and what yeah. was the conversation like? It it was good. Uh, of course, uh, you know, at this conference, you you only get you know 20, 20, 25 minutes to present and have a conversation, so you yeah. can't get too in depth. But I'll tell you one thing, you know, because it's a uh, it's a work in progress paper, mm-hmm. um, which is perfectly fine to present at a conference like this yeah. and it's a lot of friends like George and stuff who's in the room yeah. um, they can be very generous and helpful so the, the paper did not yet have a thesis okay. Okay. <laughs> and so yeah. um, uh, Jim uh, Okopol who I think you've also interviewed yeah. uh, this weekend he's, uh, he actually helped give me a thesis oh, which, well, is, that's ba- very which is basically about <laughs> the fact that Battlestar does not provide a, a sort of apotheosis out of the biopolitical realm we're still stuck in it so it's kind of a pessimistic take on the overall message the, the of the show. Pain, uh-huh. right, right. Um, but it raises this interesting question about, okay, put, aside from the show, can we ever break out of these biopolitical influences? Are they just right. endemic to human nature? Um, and, and so that's one of the, the questions I'll go back to my co-author and we'll work on for the next what, six what, weeks. What's your early instinct on that? Um, I think my, I 
just tend to be a bit more positive and optimistic. Yeah. Uh, partly, you know, comes from growing up watching Star Trek. You know, right, right. Um, it, and and I haven't done a biopolitical analysis of Star Trek. I'm sure some others have. So maybe mm-hmm. that's uh, uh, I'm a bit too Pollyannish about Star Trek. <laughs> mm-hmm. But no, I mean, I do think that we can sort of morally mature and morally evolve out of some of these. Um, driving social influences because mm-hmm. again it goes back to the original socratic dictum right know thyself mm-hmm. and we have to do that socially as much as we do individually and and so you know insofar as these biopolitical influences are supposed to be under the surface and you know kind of operate under the radar the more we shed a light on them the more we're aware of them the more we can maybe break free of them mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but there's something I was thinking about when you were talking, because this is a kind of a new concept for me. Um, what, what, would, what would these kinds of views, uh, or the, what would this, the, the literature on this topic have to say about um, the lives of people living, say, in the third world, where, uh, so you're kind of talking about numbers and calculations mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so on, and um, uh, in these discussions, do certain lives matter more? Like, how, how does... Yeah. Um, That's a great question. I, I again, I'm, And I'm relatively new to this literature. And, yeah. um, uh, and and so I don't know who may have spoken directly about this. Yeah. Um, more so than Foucault, who's kind of the originator. Yeah. Giorgio Gambin is probably one of the, the... Probably someone who maybe has written on this more directly. But to kind of take a shot at answering the question. I do think that when we look at the plight of uh, people in the developing world and how we respond as the first world, again, Mm -hmm. I think there's all sorts of subtle biases and subtle mechanisms of paternalistic control that we exert Mm -hmm. over them. And I think we do treat them as, first of all, just by calling them them, right? right? Right. Us, them, that's already part of that. Um, and so, sort of dehumanization and infantilization. Yeah, oh, these, these poor people need our help and everything. Yeah. Um, so all right. of that is to create conditions where, um, where, like I said, you kind of have this third entity between the the human mm-hmm. living living their life well, yeah. uh, which Agamben says is is bios, right? Yeah. And then you have you know Zoe, which is just bare mm-hmm. natural living, right? Yeah. And then in the middle, you have what he calls bare life. And bare life, I think, is where maybe a lot of people developing will find themselves. Mm-hmm. Where they're, yeah, they're not treated as if they're not human, but they're also not considered to be living their lives well. Like, they're not considered to be flourishing. Yeah. And so those of us who may consider ourselves societally to be flourishing, like, we, again, we treat them in maybe trying to help them, but helping them in ways that we're still kind yeah. of you know, numbering them, tracking them, reducing the statistics. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I think I think some of that's happening for sure. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Cool. So okay, we yeah. to so George. Yeah. George, uh, what's what's your talk on? Uh, my talk is on the problem of suffering in the uh, HBO series Westworld. Okay, so why don't you start by uh, telling our listeners what the problem of suffering is? <laughs> Seems pretty straightforward. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there, there are a number of ways you can you can get at the problem of suffering. Um, I, I start my paper um, by quoting a passage from uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, okay. from his um, Genealogy of, of Morality, um, in, in which he says that, you know, as long as human beings have a why, they can endure anyhow. Right. Okay. right? So the, the, the idea here is that, 
is that if we can if we can assign a meaning or a purpose to our suffering, then it becomes endurable, mm-hmm. right? So it's not suffering per se that is that is unendurable, right? It's meaningless mm-hmm. suffering, okay. right? Okay. Um, and so and so my and so my paper talks a lot about the whole issue of the Odyssey, right? Uh, not Homer's the Odyssey, <laughs> right. but, but, the Odyssey. But, but 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 the Odyssey, which um, um, comes from uh, two Greek words, um, um, teos and, and dike. Um, teos meaning um, the god or a god. You know, dike meaning justice. And so the problem of the Odyssey is the problem of justifying God. So if we assume that we live in a world that was created by a beneficent God, who was powerful enough to create this world, and so presumably could have created it um, in whatever way happens to suit him or her, um, you know, why is there so much suffering, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, why we is did an there... episode of the podcast uh, maybe three or four episodes ago on the problem of evil. So right, yeah. right. Our, and, our and, listeners will be yeah. well aware. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in particular, I mean, why is, there, why is there apparently useless suffering, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and theodicy, gener- there are several approaches to theodicy, but generally theodicy attempts to dispel the idea that suffering is actually useless, mm-hmm. right? that it actually serves some purpose, even if, that, even if that's it's a purpose that we're in no position to discern. Right? Um, so um, my paper deals with the problem of suffering in Westworld. Mm-hmm. Um, now... In the very first, very first episode of Westworld, we're introduced to the character Dolores Aben- Abernathy. Um, the name Dolores means sorrow, mm-hmm. right? It refers to suffering, and so and so Dolores oh, wow. really does live up to her name. Um, so, for your listeners who may not be familiar with the show um, Westworld, it is centered in a theme park where there are robots who um, um, are. I mean, pretty much at the disposal of the guest. Um, so it is um, kind of a, a simulation of the Old West. Right? Guests come, they get to dress up as uh, cowboys or outlaws and can pretty much abuse these hosts, the robot hosts, any way they choose. Um, now, uh, one of the premises of the show is that at least some of these robots are becoming sentient. Um, so they are really suffering because of this abuse. And, and, and one of the first characters to develop sentience is the robot we're introduced to in the first episode, Dolores Abernathy. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, um, Dolores is, when we first in- introduced her, she has this very, very sunny, optimistic view of the world. Um, she believes... Everything happens for a reason. Everything works out well. At least that's that's the attitude she has when she wakes up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time the sun goes down, she's witnessed the murder of her family. She's been brutalized and raped, and and perhaps now has a different view of the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and that repeats itself on more than one occasion. It's not that just every like... every day, yeah. every day, because mm-hmm. so every night her memory is is erased and she has to relive these horrors every single day, right? And so um, so Dolores is kind of a textbook case of useless suffering, mm-hmm. right? But, but her suffering, in a way, it does have a purpose, 
but it's not a purpose that she would be in a position to endorse or consent to if she knew what it was. The purpose of her suffering is to provide entertainment mm -hmm. you know, for the guest. Um, but what, one of the interesting aspects of the show is that we, we discover, and spoiler alert, by the way, uh, we, you know, we, we discover that the suffering that Dolores endures and that some of the other hosts, some of the robots endure, um, is, was intended by their creator to kind of, kind of spark sentience mm -hmm. in them. Mm -hmm. so, so, the, so, so the idea here is that we acquire sentience, we acquire self-awareness through suffering. Um, and so, so even, though, even though the suffering that she endures is useless from her point of view, mm -hmm. from the point of view of her creator, mm -hmm. right, it serves um, a purpose. And so I relate that to the theodicy of the uh, philosopher John Hick, mm -hmm. right, who, who argues that, um, um, that we were created by a God of love and that this God um, you know, intended for us to suffer mm -hmm. because there are salutary effects of, of suffering. Right? Uh -huh. we, we, we develop certain virtues like courage and, and fortitude, um, the capacity to feel compassion for others, which wouldn't be an issue if there was no suffering in the world. And, and through suffering, we achieve a kind of um, moral maturity. Mm -hmm. right? we, we have a kind of moral adulthood that um, wouldn't be available to us if we lived, you know, all of our lives in kind of I idyllic, childlike state. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be something like that is what motivated at least one of Dolores's um, creators, mm -hmm. uh, um, the, the um, fellow who we come to know as Arnold. Arnold. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's at least the first part. Of <laughs> my argument, I, I think you could tell the exact same story uh, about Maeve too, mm, right? right? I mean, she's just suffering greatly, but it's a different kind of suffering. Mm -hmm. She's not um, being raped, and right. you know, she's not being shot at, but she's missing this daughter that she has, with right, right? And it's just it's consuming her. Right? There's mm -hmm. this kind that of might even be the mm. worst kind of suffering. Yeah, this this sort of pain there. Right, 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 right. right. But it's, it's it's a pain that initially is is inchoate. That is, she doesn't she doesn't know exactly what it is. Right, right, mm -hmm. right. You know, um, and so and and so part of Maeve's awakening is 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 coming to understand um, that there's more to her reality than she's than she's aware of, mm -hmm. and she comes to be aware of that because she she longs for something that she can't put her finger on. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's not it's, salient anywhere in her exactly, experience. So, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 Maeve's an interesting character as well, and in some ways a contrast to 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 Dolores, mm -hmm. um, because once Dolores awakens and um, understands the truth about her situation, you know that she's that that her suffering is just for the entertainment of human beings. Um, 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 her response to that. Is to is to claim a kind of meaning for her life that she um, achieves through getting revenge. Yeah, she she becomes vengeance. Um, when I was first watching season one, 
I wondered if they weren't sort of setting up this Dolores is the good one, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, Maeve's the bad one. Right, yeah. And by the end of season two, <laughs> they kind of, they kind of yeah. flipped them. There's yeah. a complete yeah. switch, and, and, and then it all becomes very ambiguous. Such that you, know, you don't want to think any of them are mm-hmm. bad yeah. and, and stuff. But yeah, well, that, well, that's one's great. definitely more vengeant than the other. I'll say that's what's great about a lot of modern television and cinema is this sort of morally gray atmosphere mm-hmm. where like there are some episodes in season two where I was just like, Oh, Dolores, yeah. you need to listen to Teddy. More. You know, poor poor <laughs> right, Teddy, right. this long suffering fool. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, you know, what ends up, you know, when Teddy finally gains not just sentience, but sapience. Mm-hmm. So he's able to make his own moral choice, right? He realizes what Dolores has become and he can no longer go on that, you know, that journey. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you understand Dolores' motivations. I mean, that's mm-hmm. always the you know the classic you know line that those who do evil do not think that they are doing evil, mm-hmm. right? right? It, you know, they we, as Aristotle says, we always aim for the good as we you know perceive it. And so, just to explore and understand these moral motivations, and not even really not even worry about who's good and who's bad anymore. It's just well, who whose motivations am I aligning with this week and mm-hmm. right, this season right. and so on? Yeah. So, do you think uh, that the, the the metaphysics of this is is uh, coherent? So, I'm wondering. I tend to think of like the ability to reflect on the nature of one's own experience mm-hmm. as being kind of a threshold thing. Like you're either the kind of being that can do it, right. or you're not the kind of mm-hmm. being that can do it. And that if you're not the kind of being that can do it, you're kind of just like a receptacle of experiences, mm-hmm. right? Um, so do you think that this idea that like um, suffering can give rise to sentience is is something that can be defended or? Well, I, I probably not. Yeah. But, <laughs> but 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 oh, I, I have little faith. But but <laughs> but, but, but I, I think suffering can give rise to a kind of, certain kind of self awareness. Okay. Right. Yeah. So 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 what? What we experience when we're suff- when we're suffering is a kind of discrepancy, right between be- between between the self, the self's needs, the self's desires, and the world, right? So so suffering so suffering opens up this kind of cleavage, this kind of gap between between what is and what ought to be, mm-hmm. right? And it's within that opening that we that the capacity, right, for mm-hmm. for critical self awareness. You know, develops. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's interesting. Um, I mean, there's one scene. You know, you know, uh, Dolores, you know, suffers these horrors on a daily basis, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there's one scene in which Arnold asks her if he would like, if she would like for him to remove the pain, right? The pain that she suffers from having to watch the people she loves, you know, uh, killed in this horrible manner. Mm-hmm. And her answer is no. No, it's all that I have of them, and the pain. Mm-hmm. When I when I experience yeah. the pain, you know, I feel rooms opening up inside me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I think I think that tends to confirm the idea that 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 suffering can 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 deepen us yeah. in okay. in a certain way. So, yeah. Now, now there, there's there, I mean, there's another character we haven't talked about who's who's at the center of the first season. Um, and that's the man in the black. Man in black. Yeah. The man in black. Oh. You know, <laughs> who we who 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 we learn is, is Will William. Um a further learn is Right, right. That that he actually owns the joint, right? Mm-hmm. Um but the interesting thing about about William is that William also has a problem of suffering, but it's different than the problem 
suffered the problem is suffered experienced by Dolores and others, because for William, the problem is that there's not enough suffering in the world, mm-hmm. right? The, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's a speech that he gives to Teddy actually, mm-hmm. right, in which he tells Teddy what it's like out there that everybody everybody is so comfortable. Mm-hmm. Right they're, and because their lives are so comfortable, their lives are meaningless and empty, and that's why they come to Westworld, so they can it's John have, Hick, yeah, so they so they can have some kind of, you know, if if not real struggle and danger and risk, some kind of simulacra of it, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, so they they come searching for a kind of meaning that their comfortable lives out there in the world can't supply them. Mm-hmm. Um, William um, is also there for the same reason, but 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 he he knows it's all a sham, mm-hmm. right? Um, he what he wants is real risk, real danger, because that's the only thing that can give some kind of meaning to his life. Um, and so you know he reminds me of another quote from Nietzsche. Uh, this is a, a, another quote from the same book, from the Genealogy of Morality that comes at uh, uh, the very end of the book. Um, Nietzsche speaks of those who would rather will nothingness than not will, right? Perfect, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, and, and so when, there's, when, when there's no longer anything to struggle or strive for, when you no longer have high aspirations, well, what's left? Just the will to sheer destructiveness. It's either that... Or, um, or just to become inert, ugly, yeah. placid, right? Um, and and I think that that describes the situation of William or the Man in Black. Do, do you know who he reminds me of? Um, just from minute one, but especially like through the speech that you referenced, mm-hmm. and then in season two when you know the, the rules have changed and the game's really right. Him. He's Lewis from Deliverance. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just wants to be out there as vulnerable as possible, killing as much as possible. Right. Purely for the way it feels, right? Mm-hmm. Just that, that's him being alive for mm-hmm. for a moment. So, mm-hmm. so I yeah, great to, existential character. Sorry. Maybe we can switch directions here for just a minute. And so, you you two have worked together quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we have put together some some volumes of uh, papers and so forth. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of your collaborations and and you've taught classes together? Is that? Yeah. So, okay. um, so George and I, we've well, we we both edited you know by ourselves with other people several of these books have written essays for others in this whole genre of using philosophy, uh, pop culture to teach philosophy uh two books that we've done together are on uh sons of anarchy great um so okay. yeah sons of anarchy and philosophy brains before bullets which is <laughs> a sign that actually hangs in their clubhouse but they don't <laughs> often pay attention to well, well we're talking about this let's, let's promote them so sons of anarchy was on wiley open court so. uh wiley yep. wiley great. came out in 2013 so yeah um, and then the other one uh, that just came out summer 2017, um, The Philosophy of Christopher Nolan mm-hmm. with uh, oh, Lexington cool. Books. Oh, cool. Lexington. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of interesting because the, the Sons of Anarchy book, like a lot of the books in the Wiley and Open Court series, you know, they're aimed for the intelligent lay reader, mm-hmm. you know, essays around 3,000 to 3,500 words. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you're, you're getting, you know, half philosophy, half analysis of the pop culture yeah. medium, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with the Nolan book, it's also still, you know, geared towards the intelligent lay reader, but also towards a more academic audience. Mm-hmm. And so the essays are longer, 6,000, 8,000 words. 
Um, it's not all philosophers writing. We also have film theorists, film critics writing for it, um, mm-hmm. and really delving into all of Nolan's you know, collected works from Doodlebug, his little short film you can watch on YouTube, um, through uh, Interstellar at the time the book came out. It came out prior to Dunkirk. Yeah. So do they have a, a series at Lexington on this that this is part of? Um, or is it Yeah, it's a, it's a series that used to be at the University Press of Kentucky. Oh, okay. So I was going to bring that up. So it's, yep. it's a continuation of that one. And so Mark Kennard, who edited that, yeah, moved, it over. moved over to Lexington. Right. So I'm in his... Um, in that series, his book on Scorsese. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wrote yeah. a paper called The Pupkin Gambit. Um, <laughs> well, it was rational to, to do that. So, great. Yeah. And that book, the Nolan book, actually ties into then the course you, you brought up. Yeah. Um, part of our impetus to do that particular book was, yeah, George and I had developed this course when we taught the same university together. Um, and we called it Philosophy Through Pop Culture. And we would teach it every summer. Mm-hmm. At, because you could get three hour and 15 minute time blocks twice a week. Oh, cool. So we could actually watch a whole movie in class or an episode of Star Trek right. or whatever, listen to some Bob Dylan songs, um, mm-hmm. Metallica for me, but yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we, every year, every year we, you know, we do new stuff, we change it up a bit, but one of the modules that the students always resonated with and we really enjoyed teaching, well, it's actually two of them. One was on Memento. Mm-hmm. Nolan's film and you know everyone always kind of thinks about Inception as being like Nolan's you know that's his his version of the Matrix basically right mm-hmm. it's this whole Cartesian and Freudian thing and yeah the dream yeah. argument and it's like I you know we love Inception it's a great film but honestly watching Memento which is a on the surface a simpler film mm-hmm. not, oh, I love that one but mm-hmm. it's it, there's so many layers to yeah. it so yeah. many layers um, and you know, and you know, obviously the memory, personal identity stuff, but then things about you know having a moral project mm-hmm. and lying to oneself, mm-hmm. um, and what is that culpable ignorance, non culpable mm-hmm. ignorance, things of that nature. Um, and then the other uh, site something we like doing was on the Dark Knight. Oh, great! Um, yeah, which again, so many layers and so yeah. many things you go into. I think the lecture we designed for that we cover Plato, Kant. Mill, Aquinas, Augustine, Hobbes, Hobbes. Hobbes yeah. like six philosophers in one le- one lecture. You know, it's just so much there. So that was really like, okay, we got we got to do a book on this because mm-hmm. there was like a book on Inception, and um, there was a, a Batman and philosophy book, but no specifically Nolan book because I think yeah. Nolan does have a through theme for all of yeah. his works. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, the the I mean the Nolan book I kind of grew out of discussions we were having about the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I remember we were we were talking about the Dark Knight. I think this was even before we, you know, before we had designed that module for ah, the class. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about it, and just realized that there was so much there, um, so many, so many, so many philosophical topics that we could draw out of there, having to do with you know um, game theory, prisoners' dilemma, you know, uh, mimetic desire. Uh, the nature of of evil, just on and on and on, um, and and I think I think that it, sometimes so well you know we should do a book on this or a book on Nolan, mm-hmm. um, and that so that so that, that was the genesis of it. It really grew out of that class we we're teaching. Yeah, and we're proud of how the the books turned out, um, especially 
I think Sons of Anarchy had we had the most Amazon reviews. I think fifty three, fifty four reviews, oh, and nice. you know, oh, overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, even nice. even from someone who's a former member of a biker gang. Yeah, who <laughs> not only praised the show but praised our book for. Oh my goodness! And neither one of us are bikers. I shouldn't know. I mean, I think you've ridden a motorcycle before. Yeah, I yeah. have. Although although one one of our contributors for that book. Yeah. Uh, was uh, uh, Max Capuccio? Yeah, yeah. Who, um, yeah, who is a biker? He's not. I don't think he's a member of a club, but right. he, yeah, he was. Um, but he's a motorcycle enthusiast. He's a motorcycle <laughs> enthusiast. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. And we, he, he was riding his motorcycle across the United States. And, oh, so wow. yeah, um, so yeah. So I'm, I'm very, very proud of that, of oh, that book. Yeah, oh. very proud of it. Uh, we've not seen the show. Have you seen? Any of that show? I no, seen uh-uh. any of it. yeah, it's on the, the list of things to watch. Yeah. yeah, there's so much good stuff out there nowadays. I said, I, could, yeah. I you know, I, I miss the days of just four channels, <laughs> and you know, everyone was watching the same shows, right, and having the water. Now it's like. You know, this new series just got streamed the whole season. Mm. And next week, there's a whole new series just got streamed. And, like, yeah. I need to watch it. So, mm. I, it's just, I can't keep up. Yeah, per- perpetually, <laughs> we've got this list of things that we need to watch. And we're, you know, always feeling guilty for not having seen certain things that we really want to see or we want to talk about. So can't keep up with it. Yeah. So, Hollywood, back off. Just <laughs> go on. Slow down. It's like a fire hose. Go, fire hose go, on, go on strike. It's, it's <laughs> time. You deserve more money. All of you. Well, Fight, fight it out. So um, I didn't quite get it. The, the Nolan book is forthcoming or is it out? No, it's out. It's, it was, it's, it's out. It's so, been out for a couple of years now. Yep. Oh, great. great. And, so, and uh, you can obtain these books. They're on Amazon. On Amazon. Uh, yep. Barnes the, and Noble. The, yeah. The Sons of Anarchy, like all the other Wiley and Open Court books, is paperback. Um, the Nolan book is hardcover, so you, nice. you might want to ask your library to order yes. a copy here at a university. Um, yeah. But hopefully if they sell enough hardcovers, then they'll issue a paperback. Right. So. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Okay, well, thanks so much for talking to us. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it. Okay, we're talking to David Kyle Johnson about his book, Black Mirror and Philosophy. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me on. Nice to have you here. Thanks. So, uh, Black Mirror, I think, is one of the best shows, philosophically speaking. I Uh, I would agree, definitely. Can you tell us a little bit about what kinds of papers appear in the book? Okay, so the approach I took was a little bit different than the normal uh, and philosophy books that appear in the Blackwell Wiley series or the Open Court series. Uh, Because usually what they do is use the pop culture as a springboard to kind of introduce laypersons to philosophy, Mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, William Irwin's uh, line is like a little bit of a sugar makes the medicine go down. (laughs) um, And we're doing, we're we're doing that. Like we're, we're, we're trying to, we're taking a very, very different approach of doing that. Uh, Because what I'm, what I think is definitely the case with Black Mirror is that there are philosophical arguments that are being made. There are points sure. that are points that are being made with each mm-hmm. individual episode, right? And what's very nice about it is because it's like Twilight Zone, right? Like each individual episode is its own self-contained story right. that often has its own self-contained moral and right. And you don't have to. You can watch one episode and enjoy just that one episode, and you don't watch anything else. Like that's a possibly a possible thing to do. Um, and it could be the latest episode. Right? Uh, And you wouldn't have to catch up or anything like that. So what the book does is the first 20 chapters are all chapters that are just specifically dedicated to each individual oh, episode. Oh, I love it. Nice. That's a great yeah. idea. Right? Uh, and and I have a very... I've, I've made... Took a lot of effort. But it's, it's uniform. Like, mm-hmm. every episode is episode title and topic, cool. colon, the question it raises. Right? Oh, and so it. it's it's... Each one is... 
So here's what happens in the episode. This is the philosophical question that it raises. Mm -hmm. Now let's see if we can answer that question. What other questions does it bring up? What do we need to know to try to answer it? And goes through and tries to, to kind of identify what maybe what point it's making. If it's not making a point, is it just raising a question? Uh, but how can we answer that, right? Um, and so it does that for every episode in the entire series, all the way through Bandersnatch. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, but let me, let me tell you about Bandersnatch in a minute, all right? Uh, let me tell you about some of the other chapters that lead up to it, right? Uh, so, like, the first chapter on the national anthem is about weighing moral obligations, and the question raised is, is it ever okay to fuck a pig, right? Um, which, right, this is obviously the episode that you do not watch first, even though it's yeah. the first episode, right, in Black Mirror, because you could automatically be turned off of Black Mirror, right? Because right. right? it is kind of so extreme, right? Doesn't John Stuart Mill answer that question where he says, better to be a pig satisfied? <laughs> <laughs> right, but like, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a chapter about uh, different moral theories and how to evaluate moral, you know, moral actions and moral claims, yeah. right? Um, Another one of my favorites is by uh, uh, Greg Littman on the Waldo moment in political discourse and when mm. is it appropriate to be disrespectful, okay. right? Because uh, Waldo is very disrespectful, obviously. That, that's, it's a uh, really good chapter. It's one, one of my favorites. Um, so another um, White Christmas, the chapter on White Christmas is about digital blocks. Um, that's the one with John Hamm. Yes, that's, that's the okay. one with John, John Hamm, right? Uh, and whether digital blocking is ever ethical or warranted or would, would it ever be warranted. Um, Shut Up and Dance, which is about the uh, the kid who's watching pornography, then it turns out to be child, is oh. child pornography, right? Is yes. about... Um, uh, is about vigilante justice and whether we should, whether it's ever justified, should we ever want that kind of thing to happen, right? Especially if the legal system is not going to persecute or don't rightly convict, right, someone. Um, uh, uh, the, uh, the episode Hang the DJ. Oh, that's a good um, uh, Sky and Pigliucci uh, are, um, uh, Sky, Sky Clary and Massimo Pigliucci, excuse me, are doing a wonderful chapter on digital dating and whether we should farm off our, right, our, 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 our need to find another mate or whatever. Should we make that a computer or like something that's done by computers, right? Mm -hmm. Is it okay to do that? Because right. that's exactly what happens in Hang the DJ, right? right? right. Um, Black Museum is about vengeance, oh, right? And whether great. or not vengeance is ever justified yeah. and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Bandersnatch, one of the other <laughs> contributors to the book, um, and I've got, there's a lot of people working on this book because a lot of them are either co-authored or I had like contributing authors help them with like a, like pitch in their bit on a section or something okay. like that. So there's a lot of authors that are involved in this. But for Bandersnatch, Chris Lay and I did a choose your own philosophical adventure chapter. Ooh, oh, nice. That's really fun. Oh, I so can't wait to read that. So the introduction's like, you know, page, page and a half. And at the end, it's like, what question do you want to explore? <laughs> oh, right? And you choose oh, which perfect. one and you go to a different okay. section. At the end of each one, there's a different yeah. section. We had it, we got it all mapped out. Some of them lead blew back on each other, right? There's five different endings of it. Um, it's very, I mean, you can, you, we talk about all kinds of different topics. Free will comes up, moral responsibility comes up, but then there's stuff about fiction itself and pun. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's fun stuff. Oh, that's um, I can't wait to read that. And, yeah, uh, yeah you like, uh, I, yeah, I mean, some of the options end up with you burning the book, right? Like, um, it's, it's, it's fun stuff. So, and then at the end of the book, um, we have uh, uh, six chapters uh, on, if, I'm, if my memory's serving right, six chapters that are on kind of general themes, like the, the entire okay. series as a whole, right? Okay. And so we have, uh, uh, we have a chapter on artificial intelligence or conscious technology, um, yeah. personal identity, death, mm -hmm. love, perception, and then the last chapter is on the dangers of technology. Ooh, that's, I wanted and, to ask you about that. Right. And so it turns out that um, 
that Brooker doesn't really think the show is about the dangers of technology. Huh. Okay. Um, Interesting. <laughs> except when it is because fuck you or something like that. Like, there's, there's, there's a quote in there like, yeah. like just to fuck with people I guess he says, right? Yeah. Like it's not really about technology except when it is just to fuck with people. Um, you think it's more really about the human condition and how technology can help reveal problems in the human condition. Uh-huh. Um, and, that was um, my angle in my yeah. talk this morning. But, but, but clearly like yeah. there's there are elements of about the dangers of technology yeah. in it, right? And so the last chapter is... Um, is Ben Springett um, with Louis Borges. I'm probably mispronouncing his last name. I apologize. Um, but they did a chapter where... Okay, so you know in Be Right Back how Ash is brought back to life. You take his social right. media presence mm-hmm. yeah. and you conglomerate that right. and you upload that into yeah. a robot, right? Yeah. In the last chapter, what they do is we create some old dead white philosophers <laughs> by uploading... Their the, their the the content of their entire works into an into an AI right. Uh-huh. We also upload the knowledge of every Black Mirror episode and the book itself, <laughs> and then let them have at it about the dangers oh, of technology. Oh, and um, it starts with two philosophers, and then as you go, we need to bring somebody else in the conversation. So they'll upload, and then they'll upload. Right, and it keeps going, and somebody just brings himself into the conversation at one point, right? Uh, and they they have it all out uh, as and, and there's obviously trying to represent both sides of the debate, and there's there's errors involved, and so sometimes the philosophers are are like uh, going. Uh, away from their original intentions, right? So they're saying something different than they would originally say because of the uploading process. Um, but it's a, it's a really kind of fun way to, uh, as the last chapter of the book. And then oh, the, the, the conclusions, it's a short uh, a bit about whether we'll still be watching Black Mirror in 50 years. Okay. Um, but, I'm uh, hoping the answer is yes. Um, yeah, 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 he, he thinks okay. so. And part so of, that the book will still be salient. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, right? And part <laughs> of the reason is because he thinks it's, I mean, part of the argument there is because it's not all about the technology. Even once the technology in... in the, the series either becomes ridiculous or obsolete, like it's already yeah. here, which has already happened a couple of times, which we talk about in the book too. Um, it will still be about the human condition. It'll still be relevant in that way. And so we'll still be reading it. We'll still be watching and caring about it. Um, yeah. 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 I always like it when the shows pass the technology because they become very kitschy, right? Yeah. So yeah. The original Star Trek has got a lot of good human condition stuff, but then it's funny to look at the computer that's just a bunch of Christmas lights. Right, right, right. That's sort of My students will bring up like, uh, China's social yeah. ranking system that's sort of like that episode with Nosedive. Uh, that that yeah. comes up in the chapter in Nosedive. Okay, dive. cool. Because that is one of the examples of technology yeah. that was just kind of barely beyond what we had at the time and then it's already gone past that and we already looked like we have something very, very much like what's in the episode. Right? Um, yeah. yeah. Great. So can you very... Um Quickly tell us about your other project. Yeah, so... Um, the, the, no, not too quickly. I didn't, well, yeah, no, no, no. That sounded so, like a prompt. Tell us about your project. Yeah, so what... And this is partly what inspired the Black Mirror uh, book, or at least the approach to the Black Mirror book, um, was because I'm kind of treating Black Mirror as philosophy here, right? This is, an, uh, this is in the, the, you know, the, the pop culture and philosophy uh, series, but I'm kind of treating Black Mirror as philosophy uh, here, right? Yeah. And... Um, this what inspired that approach is this course I did with the Great Courses. So um, do you guys know what the Great Courses oh, is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so um, yeah. the uh, technically it's the Great Courses is a product that is produced by the teaching company. The teaching uh-huh. company, okay. is a, but people usually just call the company Great Courses. Um, yeah. But I I, I I I do lecture series for them. This is my third one I've done for them, cool. and um, it's called Sci-Fi P H I Sci-Fi okay. Science Fiction as Philosophy. And so the idea is to, it's 24 lectures, and the idea is to treat science fiction 
as if it's making philosophical arguments, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, like, the first lectures on Inception, which is also going to be in the Pilgrave handbook as well. Um, but it's, it's on Inception. I talk about The Matrix. I talk about Star Trek and Star Wars. I talk about Black Mirror, obviously. I talk about The Orville. I talk about 2001 Space Odyssey. I talk about Metropolis. I talk about uh, Snowpiercer and environmentalism. Um, uh, there's it's, You can look it up and see the 24, right? But that each in each one, I'm kind of trying to do this thing where here's what happens, what kind of philosophical arguments is the author trying to make, what kind of point are they trying to make, and then evaluating it philosophically to see if it has any merit or not, right? Uh, and I do new stuff, right? Uh, I talk about old Star Wars and new Star Wars. Um, I'm talking about uh, stuff, obviously, that's coming out now, like the Orville and Black Mirror. Uh, Metropolis is back in the 20s or whatever. I go all the way back there. I talk about uh, stuff from the 70s and 80s, like Blake 7. Um, I, uh, in 2001, obviously, is, is an older film as well. Um, so it kind of uh, runs the gamut in regards to, like, it, it can kind of be, like, at the end of each lecture... I tell the listener, reader, however they're going through it, um, viewer, I should say, uh, that, like, here's what we're going to do next. Go watch it. Right? Okay. And they don't have to. Like, you, I, I introduce enough in each lecture that you don't actually have to yeah. have to have watched or watched it recently. But yeah. the course can really kind of be like a foray, this adventure into science fiction where after each, each lecture you go and watch a new movie or a film or an episode or whatever that, yeah. I, that I ask you to watch. And then you come back and I discuss it and tell you about it. And, and you just kind of go back and forth and, and do that. So um, it's available on the Great Courses Plus app. You could okay. um, technically you could probably get it for free if you did it quick enough. You can do like a month free on the Great Courses Plus okay. app. And you get access yeah. to their entire library. You could watch Absolutely. it all there. Um, the app is also nice. You can just flip over to audio and listen to it like a podcast. So it doesn't yeah. burn up all your battery on your, on your, on your phone. Um, but it's available on DVD and digital. It's, all, it's an audio, audio book on Audible as well if you like to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, sci-fi, science fiction as philosophy came out uh, last summer. Awesome. Nice. Well, thanks for joining us, Kyle. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's a great opportunity. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun, right? Um, I, I learned a, a ton from these guys, and it was it was great to meet them because we've worked with um, at least a couple of the guys, um, Jason and and Kyle, um, you know, on past projects. So it looks like lots of cool projects going on that I know I'm going to pick up and read. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. All right. Well, um, that's a wrap. Episode twenty is in the can, and once again, everything has come up Charbonneau, um, DC style. So what what do we got going next week? We're gonna do We're doing an episode on comedy and the good place. Right. We've got we've got three good interviews, two of them on the good place, one on the philosophy of comedy. Um, should be a lot of fun. So I said next week we'll we'll see you in two weeks, of course. Alright. Take care everybody. Bye. <laughs>